We've talked the last two or three weeks about an upside-down world using Cain and Abel and then the book of Ecclesiastes to show that in the world that we live in, it has been this way all along, that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and it doesn't work out at all the way it should. It doesn't work out the way that we think it should. And in fact, the word that Solomon uses for vanity, that all is vanity in his book of Ecclesiastes, is the same word as the name of Abel, the one who was a good man who was killed at the very beginning by a wicked man. Fruitless, pointless, makes no sense. And so from the beginning, much of human existence makes no sense to us. Doesn't seem to work. And yet God is there and he asks us to have confidence in him that it will be right, that someday it can be made right. And the only thing that makes it right is our faith in him and following him. That's the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. Here are the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's, that's the only thing that makes any sense. And how I wish that we could convince our friends and neighbors and sometimes family members of the truth of that statement, but we can't very often. And we find ourselves then, I've talked about this for a while now, preaching some sermons on a Christian worldview, and we're headed that direction right now. That's, this is kind of getting a running start on some of that, some of those topics. But, uh, we live in a time when things really don't make much sense. Common definitions of things we've understood for generations are being shifted underneath our very feet. Things are backwards of what they might be. Love is hate, hate is love. You know, up is down, down is up, uh, right is wrong, and we see this all around us. And it's very confusing to old people like me. Well, I'm not confused. You may be confused. I'm not confused. I understand exactly what's happening. Okay, I think. And I don't brag about that. It's only because I've looked into this for a long time in various ways and and analyzed it and taken and had some background in philosophy. But let me tell you something. We do live in confusing times for most people. In fact, they're so confused, they don't even know where to begin. They're, they just can't make any sense of it. But I, I get a little upset with people who, when they see things going on, just say, oh, they're crazy. They see some politician do something wicked, and they say, oh, he's crazy. they're just crazy. They see someone do something wicked, oh, they're just crazy. They're not crazy. They're evil. They're wicked. It's not a symptom. It's not a syndrome. It's a sin that's being committed. But we've lost our sense of direction of these things. We, we can't even call things by their proper names. So I'm going to talk with you this morning in a strange kind of sermon, I admit it going in, about how we got here. How, how did we get to this place where we can't even decide who is a woman? How do we get here? Don't even, our most, the smartest people we got, when asked who, what's a woman, can't answer the question. I think it sometimes is more of a case of won't answer the question, but sometimes just can't because they're confused themselves and they don't even know it. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Fools there doesn't mean Ronald McDonald. In the Bible, the word fool is someone who is intentionally sinning against God. It's someone who is reckless, as we see. But we can, that's another sermon. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And I believe it should, if I were going to go to visit, we went to Israel, visited Israel. I didn't understand a lot what was going on around me because people were speaking Hebrew and Arabic. 
and whatnot, and I didn't understand. I could read, I couldn't read the signs, some of them, because I didn't know. But if I were going to move to Israel or move to another country and live there for a while, I would try to understand the language. It would be incumbent upon me to find out at least the basics of what was going on around. And and not only the language, but what the people were like. I had to try to fit in and figure out what they're like. I picture my great-grandparents and my grandmother as a young woman coming to this country from a completely different world of Austro-Hungary and coming over here as poor people on a boat and not knowing any of the language and and not knowing the customs of the people. That's why when they came to this country, they settled in an area of Cincinnati where there's other people from the same place they were from, at least in a general way, and spoke the same language. I don't resent people coming to this country and moving to a place where they speak the same language they came from. They have to. They couldn't make it without that, at least for a while. What my father was against, being the first one born, and my grandmother who was born, is she's people, the people that stay that, in that situation, that don't try to become Americans and go on, because they did that. But they had to learn what the people around them were like. And that's what we fought, where we find ourselves as strangers and pilgrims on the earth today. This is true of religious people as well as non-religious people. We simply don't understand the language and the meaning of the, of the people in our society and most of them who consider themselves to be our betters. Our leaders, the elite people in media and the elite people in intellectual institutions and, and, and all of those kind of places in government, they believe themselves to be better than we are as common people. And they speak a different language and they, and they mock us as being the deplorables and the ones, you know, that are are uh, worthless, uneducated people. Make a big point all the time about how only liberals are educated, all the ordinary people are uneducated, ignorant people. This is this is what they thrive on. But I better be able to understand their language if I'm going to live in this world. And so I want to try to get you a little bit why things are like they are without getting too complicated, uh, if I even could, in this. But, you know, you have a responsibility in this regard, I think. Since you live in a strange world as a Christian, they view you as ignorant, not only ignorant, but dangerous. I can quote the New York Times articles that say so. It's been going on for a long time, but you're living in their world now. But you have a responsibility to understand this. In Acts 13, Stephen says, uh, Paul says this about David, the king. After he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Now he's talking about Christ, the last part. But what it says about David, I think, is interesting for all of us. David served his own generation by the will of God. That's, that's all that David could do. He had no control over the building of the temple, which came later. And he had no say in Israel falling away and being destroyed in the captivity because he wasn't there. But during his lifetime, while he was alive, he served his own generation of people who he was living with. He tried to do the best he could for them, which meant he had to understand them and do what was right for them. That's the position we find ourselves in. We don't have any, we can't go back to the past. I can talk about the past all the time, but it doesn't change anything. And I may even misunderstand the past. I don't know what's going to happen to the future. I, I, I'm very concerned these days about my grandchildren, my children and my grandchildren. My children are kind of taking a back seat, you know, I know. Sorry. But. No, they really haven't. But uh, I'm concerned. I can see now way past me. When you get older and you have grandchildren, you can see way past yourself. 
And the things that concern you about things a hundred years from now, when some of my grandchildren will still be alive, uh, concern me. I can't fix that though. I can only serve my generation. Well, maybe the service we can render is teaching them how to think like they should. Teach them to understand what they're seeing around them. And that doesn't mean just to hate everybody and be bitter all the time. It means to serve them so that they can be... You, you can understand the new world. You can reach people in the new generations. They can be taught. Many of them are going to be can be taught. And just like every other generation, there are many that will reject God, but I don't believe that the new generation is hopeless. I just think that we, they, don't even, they don't even know how to where they are. They're lost. Isn't that not what the word lost means? Lost. They don't even know. They're sheep without a shepherd. This is where most people find themselves, especially the young in our society. I remember a time when, when you could trust people, when people's word meant something, and when, when families stayed together. I remember those days. Those days are long gone. I can't live as if they still exist. My children don't know that. My grandchildren especially don't understand that. Uh, they think in the, they think in junior high school or earlier that if they don't have oral sex with the boys, they're going to be nothing. And they get pressured into it and the boys think that's what they got to do. If you don't think this is what it is, that they, they think, like I mentioned in Bible class, here in junior high school, that they've got to be transsexual or they're nothing and they got to, they go that direction and they get involved in many things that damage them. Why? Because they're just evil, wicked kids? No. No, I don't believe that. Even though it makes me angry. I don't believe that at all. I believe that they're just pushed and shoved. Sheep without a shepherd. Where are their parents? Well, sometimes their parents are trying to help them, but sometimes their parents are more worried about themselves and the divorce settlement. Okay? About their career. That's what's been going on for a couple generations. But David served his own generation. And so we need to think about this. There's a fellow, if, if you'd like to read somewhat uh, thoughtful stuff, Fellow, he's dead now, named Francis Schaeffer. He's right up there with C.S. Lewis in my book. Okay, and if you know anything about how I think about C.S. Lewis, he's a little more, a little more deep than C.S. Lewis philosophically. But his name is Francis Schaeffer. He was American, but he lived in, in Europe most of his life and taught philosophy, Christian philosophy over there in his institute. Wrote several books, uh, among them, The God Who Is There. He is there and he is not silent. Uh, the book Escape from Reason, which is where I first ran into him in college and so forth, and a bunch of others. He was like a, he, he almost was prophetic. This was, these things were written in the, in the 60s and 70s, early 70s. He was a prophet. He is speaking directly to the 2020s and has been about what's going on. And he hasn't, he can tell you what it is. If you want to go read this as a, he, he would consider himself a Christian. I think he was a, he was a, a pretty basic Presbyterian, European style. But he talks about this basic, the rejection of the divine. What's happened in our society is a rejection of the divine. And it isn't really just a rejection of the God of the Bible that's happened. It's a rejection of the idea of the divine. The whole concept of the divine has been rejected. And that's left man all by himself. And Schaefer said that if you trace this lineage back, now we're going to come back to the Bible, so hang on. I know this is not Bible, but I'm hoping to make you see the connection with this. Schaefer would say that 
guy named Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s, maybe one of the most influential thinkers of all time, as much as he set things on a wrong course this way, he set things on a right course the other way. He said he divided the world between grace and nature. Grace being, grace being, now, now I want you to notice there's a line there between the two. Before Aquinas, everything was in the upper story. Everything was just grace. The, the earth, did, did you know, we have people that spend their whole life hiking and climbing mountains. I can tell you something historically. Mountain climbing wasn't a thing until fairly recently. Mountain climbing was a thing in the sense that you had to climb the mountain to go get something to eat or to go over the mountain to get somewhere else. But it wasn't a thing that just people just did for their spare time, go out and climb a mountain. Because they didn't do the mountains that way. Mountains are just part of nature, which was unimportant, especially in, in early Christian centuries. But the divine was everything. In fact, the divine was so divine, God was so holy, that you didn't even put draw any kind of picture. The, the painters in the Byzantine era, before Aquinas and another time, they only put symbols for Mary and Christ in their paintings and drawings. They had symbols. They would never try to paint. The, the pictures of the trees and of the landscapes were very basic and, and only were there to illustrate the spiritual point of being made by something that's holy. Now, Aquinas was right that nature is a part of what God made. Nature is important. There's a line perhaps there, but the line is, is not, was not as heavy before that. But he said nature is important. God made the world. So we need to understand nature. His teaching about this opened up the world for men like Leonardo da Vinci and Galileo that we should understand the world. We should try to find out what's there. It was that Christian thinking about the nature of the world being created and being important that changed everything historically, philosophically, and people's thinking. I know we can't identify with this because it's so foreign to our thinking, but things have changed over time in the way humans view the world. And so there's this grace, there's the higher form, upper story you would call it, the God, the creator, heaven and heavenly things, the unseen world, man's spirit belongs there, of course, and then there's unity there because God can explain everything. The early view is the whole world is united because God explains everything. Then you have nature, the lower part. You have the created things, earth, earthly things, visible things, men and what they do on the earth, our body. And here you have diversity of all these particulars. This was something that Plato struggled with and Aristotle. I remember reading this thing in, I think it was Plato. Maybe it was Aristotle. I don't know which one. I can't remember. It's been a long time. It's been 60 years, 50 some years. So here's a chair. If I say the word chair, you all know what I'm talking about, don't you? But that's a chair. That's a chair. We got chairs in the lobby. Are they the same? They're not the same. They're all completely different. In fact, there's not one chair in this entire auditorium that's like any other chair in this auditorium. Every single one of these chairs... They all look sort of the same. They're all blue, same style. But every single one is different than the other. In fact, in nature, there's not any two things that are alike. No two leaves on a tree. Nothing is the same as any other thing. Everything is, is different than the other. You have to think about that, but that's actually true. It's completely different. And I would say, even though we can't see it, you could even go down to the subatomic level and you'll probably find that that's true. Everything is diverse. It's completely separate. What makes the unity? 
What brings all those things together? Well, now the Greeks didn't have any idea. Their gods were individual gods, and they couldn't bring it together. Plato and Aristotle struggled to find what's the what's this unifying principle. Now the Hebrews had a unifying principle. It was Jehovah that brought everything together, made it all have meaning, and the one who made it all and could make it all understandable. And so the early Christians took that idea after Aquinas and said, we can take our minds, we can understand this world of nature, we can make it all make sense, we can create laws of physics and laws of this and laws of that. And so they began to do this to make sense of nature. And that worked as long as there was a fundamental belief in the upper story, the divine, where God could create this unity. Leonardo da Vinci didn't paint much because he could. He spent most of his time drawing, trying to find the one thing that would be tied all together. He did some painting, but he was trying to do draw. He had lots of drawings because he's trying to figure out what makes what can I paint eventually that ties it all together. He never found anything because he had eventually lost the idea that from the scriptures that there was one thing that he couldn't paint. He couldn't paint what would hold it all together. Isn't it not true that the Bible says that in him all things consist? Yes, it does. And that word is in Greek for glue in Colossians 1. That in him all things consist. They're held together by God. And so you have this, these two worlds. And so then since the Renaissance, which is about the 1400s and the 1500s in that area when Da Vinci and all those people, some other important people came along. What's happened because of man's desire to get rid of God beginning that the lower story is eaten up the upper story. The upper story doesn't exist anymore in modern society over time. It's taken a long time for that to happen. And you begin to see this happening in art. And so even in the Renaissance era, these painters began to paint. So that they got rid of using a symbol for Mary and a symbol for Christ. They began to actually paint pictures. One of the first paintings that actually had a picture of the Virgin Mary in it was the mistress of the artist. And everybody in Florence knew who she was. This guy says, well, I'll paint Mary and I'll make her my mis- the mistress. And there's two or three like this. That, are, that the people, that the women, we wouldn't know this, but the people knew at the time knew who this woman was in this painting. And then one paints the next one along the line, paints the Virgin Mary as his mistress with her breasts exposed. So you see where this is going. This is what happened then. And the lower story began to eat up the upper. And so we have now the idea that science explains God away. We don't need God anymore because science explains it all. And if we can just keep working hard enough, we, we're going to find out the mysteries of the universe. We're going to solve the riddle of creation. We're going to do everything about human beings to be understood internally and every other way, even psychology. We think we're going to know all about man if we just study enough good, because we can do everything ourselves. So everything on the lower story eventually ate up this upper story and it just is gone. I don't, I don't think it's working like it's supposed to here. Yeah, there you go. And so now all that's left is this lower story where most of your neighbors live and there's no place for man's significance. Here's the problem with this. There's some good things in that. A lot of good things that come out of science and understanding of nature. And you've heard me talk about, I have no problem with all that. But the problem is when it becomes the only thing, then it ruins what really matters. There's no place for man's significance in the modern world. What is man? Why, there's billions and billions of stars out there in the cosmos, and what are we? We're nothing. I got a sermon talking about this. 
man being lonely. He's lonely. And it's a real problem for human beings. Why do you think, since I was a boy, in 1966 and 67, I used to get Science Digest magazine, and then my friend, we were all into the science thing, me and my couple of my buddies, and he introduced, introduced me to this book about aliens, Frank Edwards and all the study of UFOs, and he was all fascinated with UFOs. And, so, and everybody said, you boys are crazy. You're, you're thinking about extraterrestrial life this man is crazy for to believe it. Nobody believed in it. Now today, when I say I don't believe in extraterrestrial life particularly, I don't think it's there. I don't know. You're crazy, Mike. Why, of course it's there. I want to ask you, what have we discovered in the last 50 years that proves that there's extraterrestrials? More than we knew in 1967. You know what we've discovered? Nothing. Zero credible evidence that there's life in outer space. But everybody believes it. I think there's a simple reason why. Because when they look up at the stars, is anybody out there? They look up and they say, is anybody there? We send satellites. There's been millions of your tax dollars sending all the satellites and all the other rockets up to find some hint of life somewhere. they got people all over the world listening on their computers, SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, listening on their computers all around. And they, they've abandoned that program because they can't find anything. There's nothing there. It's radio silence, as they say. Okay? But they're still looking. They cannot unbelieve. It just can't be that we're alone in the universe. Can't be. Who says it can't be? Who says? Well, their science hasn't found anybody yet. What do you think when you look up at the stars? You say, how great thou art. That's what you say. Because you still believe in the upper story, don't you? A whole different perspective on looking at the sky. It's a difference between belief and unbelief. Now, modern man, sadly, has come to the place where he has no significance because he doesn't mean anything. What difference does it make? Who You, you know, if, if love is just a chemical reaction between people, I had to base my discipline on the radio one time, you know, you say you, you say you love your girlfriend. You got a girlfriend? Yeah, you say you, say you love her. Well, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? It means nothing. See, I can define love, and I can define the other person. I know that we're both made in God's image, and I know what love is from what God says love is. I know what it should be like. I have some standards because I have morals, and I, that person has significance. You well, I don't even think I got that up there, do I? There you go. There you go. There's the problem. But if you believe that man got here by a long process of evolution without any intervention from, from the upper story. This all just kind of happened this way. What does it mean to love your girlfriend, to love your children? It means nothing. It's no different than, a, than a, some kind of wild animal in a nest snuggling up against its young. It's no different than that. In fact, you'd be, we do so much, we project all these feelings of children onto baby squirrels. Even honeybee, I'm in honeybees, you know. And people project all their human emotions and thoughts onto the honeybees. They're insects, they're bugs. They don't feel what we feel, but we project onto them because we're trying to find some kind of meaning. And they consider them their children. Oh, I got 30,000 children, they'll tell you. Women should not be allowed to do these kind of things. I'm just teasing. 
when you're making honeybees your children, you got a problem to me. You got something else going on there that needs to be fixed. I know that sounds mean, but I, I mean that. There's something else going on. Honeybees are not your children. Your pets are not your children. If they are, you have a problem. That you, and, and I understand you have a problem. You, you, you might use, but don't try to project it on me that I'm bad because I don't think that your pets are your children. I'm not the one that's got the problem in that case. But what does society do? They make it, you got the problem because you don't think dogs are children. No. Why did, how did it come to be like that? Why, how do we get there where animals are so important? Because man has no understanding of these, of the, there's no, there's no morals. There's no truth. There's no absolutes. What are we, what world are we living in? Well, we see that man has no significance. That's why people can go shoot up malls and stuff. That's why we see so much of this, even around, and other countries, it's other different kinds of ways we do this. People don't have any significance. There's no truth. There's no morals because the upper story is gone. Now, now, uh, Schaefer presents and he shows you it's a long process. That we don't just need God, the word God, because the Hindus have a God and the Buddhists have a God and, and the pagans had gods, but they were limited gods. The, the Roman gods were kind of personal gods. You like to be, to fight people, you became, you know, a follower of Mars, the god of war. And you were a lover, you became a follower of Eros. And, you know, you, or Aphrodite, because you were a lover, and Cupid. And so you had your own personal gods that suited your own character. This is the Roman and Greek gods. A lot of the pagan gods of the American Indians, other cultures are that way. And then you have some of these gods are just infinite. They, some, some of the higher gods, they're, they're so far removed from man that, that there's nothing there. You can't ever know they're there. You just have to imagine it. What the Bible presents is a different God. It presents both a personal God and an infinite God in the same being. And so in the book of Revelation, you have the picture of Jesus Christ holding the stars. Pretend this is my right hand in his right hand. How do you hold stars in your right hand? Do you have any concept of the size and power and distance the stars are apart? We don't have any concept. We can throw numbers out there, but they don't mean anything to us. They're so fast. Jesus holds the stars. And with that same hand, he reaches down and touches John. You see, that's the thing. That's the difference. That's the God we worship in the Bible. A personal God who loves each and every one of us for what we make because we're his creatures, we're his children. Even the sinners are his children in that sense. And then there's a special relationship we have as Christians, far beyond that generic one. As truly we can call him Abba Father. But this same God controls the entire universe. And they send that satellite out there, the newest one taking all those amazing pictures. And we can't even begin to see the end of the world, the worlds out there that God has made. This is the God that the Bible presents. He's got, he can unify it all. From the vast to the minute. He unifies everything from the personal to the impersonal. And so here's the thing. Between this God and the angels, there's a great chasm that cannot be crossed. And then below the angels, you have man. And below man, you have the animals. I know this is controversial, but I'm telling you it's what the Bible says. Okay. The animals are below man. We are given dominion over the animals, just like the angels have dominion over us. Plants, 
and then machines. Maybe you could put inert matter beneath that, I don't know. Machines are made out of inert matter, like minerals and stuff. You could put those down at the bottom, but I didn't do that for this chart. There's this great chasm between the two. We understand this if we understand the Bible. Michael, the archangel, his name means who is like unto God? Who is like God? Well, the answer is nothing. Nothing, not angels, not mean nothing is like God. He is so far beyond us in his glory and his infinity. But on the other side, you see, there's this chasm between man and the angels, between man and animals that exists. In the Bible, that chasm is clear. God made man and the animals. They're all valuable. They're all part of God's creation. But there's a separation. Man is singled out as having being made in the image of God. And God gives the laws and his care and sends his son to save the save man, not the animals. They're to be used by man. They're to be they're to, in man's service, as it were. They ought to be kept there. Before you get mad at me, I've got two little dogs that are just nothing but trouble at home. So yes, we have animals. I love animals. But they're animals. And they're different than me and my children and grandchildren. This is the way the Bible presents it. And so you see this, this great chasm that exists in this case. And what happened is in, uh, in, the, in this search to, for man to be exalted, the problem is this all started with man trying to exalt himself. The Renaissance was about humanism. Man becoming the center of all things, exalting man. When man became exalted out of his place, when man tries to jump that gap to become God, you have a problem. And that's what man has done since the 1500s, made his attempt to jump the gap. And now what's wrong with our politicians and government? Well, they think that they can issue whatever edict they want whatever law they want to pass, and that's going to change the laws of economics. That's going to, and we're fixing to find out about how that doesn't work. You don't already know. Okay. Man doesn't write the laws of mathematics and economics. Man can't alter those. Man can adjust them and use them, but he can't alter those laws. But they think if they pass a law, that'll happen that way. We pass a law, do it this way, and we think that's what utopians do. What's, what's happened out of this is that since the time, well, before that time, but really became real in the time of Marx, Lenin and Marx in the early 1900s, people really decided we're going to try to have utopia on earth and we can make it whatever we want it to be. And lots and lots of people have fallen prey to that because they believe that man is infinite. Man can do whatever he wants. And so they've tried to create economic laws to find that utopia. Now I'm telling you, the Bible says the world is upside down, can't be fixed. You cannot make what is crooked straight, Ecclesiastes says. So we can do something about some of these problems, but the fundamental ones we can't fix because they're ingrained in human nature and the way God has allowed the world to be. Because of, man, because of man's rebellion, the world is a certain way. And you can't be fixed. Because every single person that you put in charge of the utopia is a flawed human being with sins maybe worse than yours. And you put him in charge thinking, what, what is it with people who think we got a lot of bad humans, so we're going to fix that by putting other bad humans and giving them ultimate, giving him a, a great power over the other ones. 
our founding fathers said this is not the good system. Since humans are flawed and tend to do bad things when given power, let's limit their power over other people. Let's spread the power out and limit it. That's what God did in the Old Testament too. The nation of Israel. But we think somehow that we can just make man what, what he what we want him to be. Now, now go to the passage that was mentioned in Bible class this morning. We're going to close out here. Time is gone. And I want to read. It's a long passage, but let's read through this. I've read it before. I know you've heard it before. Uh, that's uh, what's the Greek word for that? Too bad. There's a Greek saying. Too bad. Romans 1, and we could begin longer, but let's go here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why is it that we think that that won't apply to the 21st century? Why is it we think that God's wrath will not be revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness? You can't even say that a man is not a woman today without being ostracized. What is that but suppressing the truth and unrighteousness? All because somebody has a wicked agenda that they want to push forward. That's that's not the only example. That's just the one that's right on everybody's mind right now. This is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And it's going on all across our country, all across our whole culture and around the world. It's probably worse in some other countries than it is here. Because he says, here's the reason that God eventually has wrath about this. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown to them. God has shown us what the right way to go. And you can know what's right. People do know what's right. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You can see, you can know two things about God without ever opening the Bible. You can know that God is eternal and that he is divine. He's more powerful than you are because he made the worlds and that he is divine of a whole other nature than you because of the way the world operates. You can know that without ever opening a Bible. So you're without excuse. The people that you say, well, they've never heard the gospel, they're going to be lost. It's without excuse that they don't know the true God. Because though they knew God, and then he says what man knew God at one time in history. This is historical now. Because they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. That's why I talked about that in Bible class this morning. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They refused to look at the upper story, the top part of that graph, and say, this is God. Let's try to understand him as he revealed himself. Let's keep that in place. No, they wanted to destroy that part. They refused to honor God in their knowledge. And therefore, they became vain in their thoughts. They had empty thoughts that we can be God. We can make it like we want it to be. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now, this applied to the Greeks and Romans of that day in their idolatry. And they literally did that. All the other countries did it all around the world, from Mexico to Africa to Israel, Judah, Judah to Babylon, all those countries all began to worship the things that were made, all these creatures, including man himself. The Romans were bad about worshiping the men themselves. That's why Caesar became God. Modern people do this now with their worship of animals and lifting animals up to man's place and worshiping man and so forth. We put our leaders up. We have lots of different various gods we put up there. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness 
See, idolatry, forsaking God, always leads to immorality. Those two things are connected. Godlessness, immorality. Now, he's not talking about a person here or there committing immorality. He's talking about a general society-wide. Look, all this problem with abortion in our country, a huge section of that would be eliminated if we would stop, people would stop living together and having sex outside of marriage. A huge percentage of that problem would go away. Do you think anybody in our society is ever going to stand up and say that? Well, what happened to you if a politician, if you said, I think people should stop living together? Well, I can barely say that as a preacher of the gospel. People get up mad with me. Because there's sure to be people here that are living together. Can't say that. You're, you're judging people. Yes, I am in that sense. It's not right. It's not good. It's, it's not because I think so. It's destructive. But, but we want this to do the lusts of our hearts to dis, and they dishonor their bodies among themselves. That's talking both about, both about heterosexual sex and and homosexual sex in the dishonoring ways that it's practiced. There's no place in sexuality in the Bible for sadomasochism and bondage. Nothing in the Bible about sexuality would ever lead you to the idea that BDSM is a good idea or is a perfectly neutral thing. It's not a neutral thing. Oh, I know we can pretend games and have, you know, little uh, fluff handcuffs and stuff. Okay, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the whole idea. That the way people get their sexual pleasure is to inflict pain on other people or to receive pain themselves. If that's what's going on in your life, you need to think, stop and think about that. Something is off. Something is wrong. Something's happened to you. May not be your fault, but hap- this is not a, the right way to go. And so they were dishonoring themselves among them, themselves. They were having sex with, they would, they would raise up whole, in the Roman Empire, they'd raise, in Greeks, they would raise up whole classes of young boys the prettiest ones, and turn them into their sex slaves. Sometimes they'd castrate them, sometimes they wouldn't. All the emperors had whole cadres of these these boys. This is what's practiced in Afghanistan. This is one of the problems we had in in Afghanistan was all that child sex. They dishonored their bodies. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Not a lie, the lie that there's another God besides the God of heaven. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Stop worshiping your dogs and cats. For this reason, God gave them up. That's just one small, tiny thing to say there about that. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. They got worse and worse. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Oh, you can't use your wife. You can't use your husband. Who says? Define use. The Bible says there's a natural use for a wife and a natural use for a husband. Now, is there a wrong way to apply that? Absolutely. But he gave, everything has its own purpose. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one for the other, men with men committing what is shameful. People say, well, that's not homosexuality. What in the world could it be? And receiving in themselves the penalty of the error, which was now he's not talking about occasionally people in society that are homosexual. This is talking about a society-wide acceptance and practice of these things, both heterosexual and homosexual. And even as they did not restrain retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Now he goes on from here. Our time is gone. This shows you the progression 
of ha what happens in human society. This, there's micro progression. You can look at this and see this in the United States over the last generation or two. You can broaden it out and see it in Western culture. You can broaden it way out into the 1400s and you can even go back into, into ancient history and see this, this same process going on. Now, if we're going to deal with our friends and neighbors, we have to understand that, that most of them have never thought through any of this. They're simply doing what they see around them, for one thing. And in the media and and the media and movies are debased. All that there, almost all that's there is violence and degradation. Those things go together too. Violence and sexual abuse go together. And and this is where they're coming from. Now, you have to understand, though, what I'm trying to say is that most of the people haven't thought through this. They're simply going along with what's happening. And then when you, when they've been sinned against their whole life by their parents and those around them, even churches are filled with these kind of abusers oftentimes. And that's, that shoves these people into this world. So you've got to be thoughtful about it, not full of bitterness and hate about those things, but understanding of this is where, they, where people are. Oftentimes they are damaged very badly. Now the good part of this, the gospel has the only solution to these things. Because the gospel reaches down and tells that person, not, you, you have value, not just because you're a man or a woman or a human, but you have value because of who you are. It reaches down and touches that person where they are and gives them value and meaning because they know there's more than just, and then it gives them courage to fight against their, their nature and to fight against those around them by saying, there's someone higher to you that I am going to not, I'm not going to bow to anybody but them. This is what you and I need going forward. We need from that, what's in that song as the deer, to you alone will my spirit yield. We need the courage to say we will not yield our morals and our values and our thoughts, our hearts to anyone except God. Whether it's a governor, a prince, a preacher, whoever it may be, we're not going to do it. Because the upper story, what's up there in the top is what's important. Because that gives meaning to, what, to you below. You take away the top, get rid of God, you find out you have no meaning. You're just like the mold on the shower. You have no meaning. Thank you for listening. This is where we are. And we got here over a long, and I didn't even bore you with all the philosophy, but there's a lot of it there. You know, I took a course in uh, art history, University of Miami, uh, and um, at least the professor was from the University of Miami. I thought, this is going to be the most boring thing in the history of the world. And it was one of the best classes I've ever taken in college. Because this woman, Alexand Alexandra Alexandrakis, I think she was Greek, uh, <laughs> uh, showed from the cave art what people were thinking when they did these art things, all the way from the cave art up to architecture, the Middle Ages, all the way to modern times. There's a reason for what it is. There's a reason why it's like it is. And it showed these very kind of things going on in different cultures. There's always a reason. But thanks for listening today. We're going to sing this song that our brother selected, number 255, I Am Resolved, No Longer Looking. We'd like to invite you to come and become a Christian today, get back on the right track. If we can baptize you to Christ, let us help you with that. If we can talk to you about difficulties and sins you need to work with, let us know about that too. We'll be glad to help you. Come right down to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.